There is a lot of thought on where we are as a nation, on how we move forward in our culture, on what is right and what is wrong, what is truth, what is relative, what is solid, where do we stand? And we are definitely in a battle. I wanna jump into that today, but I wanna start by settling a major uh, rivalry. I wanna settle a rivalry right now and show you a picture, and right here in the broadcast there in NAC and those of online, I want you to take a look at this important picture. And uh, we're gonna answer the question, if you look at this picture of this dress, by a raise of hands at all of our locations, including online, uh, how many of you see white and gold? Just raise your hand. You see a white and gold, keep it up. Raise your hand like you just don't care. Look around. Everybody look around. Okay. Now, how many of you see a black and blue? So... All of the black and blue people are all wrong. I obviously see white and gold, so that's my truth for this situation. You guys, we need to repent and we'll pray for you later. You're just not seeing what you need to see. But, but here's, here's my point in that. Half of the auditorium saw white and gold. Half the auditorium here saw blue and black. If we can hardly agree on what we see, The question I want to jump into for this new series is this. What about the things we can't see? There is so much that we argue about, so much that we fight about, so much that we opinionate about and ideate about that we see, that we disagree on. What about the things we can't see? Because the things we can't see that have to do with the heavenly realms, the spiritual things, are just as real. In fact, the Bible says are even more real and more eternal than the things you do see. See, you are not a physical being on a temporary spiritual journey. You are a spiritual being at the very core of who you are on a temporary physical journey. This physical journey someday ends. The spiritual journey is eternal. And the truth is, we are not just on a fun journey. We're just not on a hop, skip, and a jump, slow motion run through the hills of the Netherlands like Julie Andrews in the Sound of Music. We are at war. We are in a consistent state, whether you realize it or not, at war. And I'm not talking about the war that you see. Right now, our country is in another civil war, but it's not divided by north and south. It, 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 is, it is not fought with weaponry. It is fought right now with morality. It is not a civil war of soldiers and swords. It is a civil war of morality, a civil war of what will be the final authority of what we live on and stand on and what brings us the most stability. We are at war with one another. We're at war inside families and outside families. We are at war, as I've said, with morality. We are at war. And every war has specific rules of engagement. And if you're taking notes, whether online, there at the app, or physically on our worship guides, I want to invite you just to jot some of these thoughts down. I'm calling this message, 
If knowing is half the battle, because that's true, knowing is half the battle. Do you know that knowing the word is half the battle, but Jesus himself says, if you know the word and that's it, you're going to be a contractor that builds a house on a sandy foundation. And when the the storms of life come, it's gonna be hard to truly take your stand. Knowing is half the battle. The other side of that battle is truly doing. Hearing the word and doing the word. A few thoughts that are rules of engagement as we jump into this series that's gonna take us from Mother's Day to Father's Day. And this is way more than just content collaboration. This is way more than just a sermon series to give you some scripture. I want to help your home. I want to help your motherhood. I wanna help your fatherhood. I wanna help your kids grow up to be strong in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be great deciders on the battlefield of this life, using the word of God as the moral compass for every decision they make. But if you don't know that you're in a war, you're going to be in trouble. In fact, write it down, the first piece of engagement. If I don't know I'm in a battle, I've already lost. If it's just happy-go-lucky and it's just karma for you, you don't realize there is an absolute battle. The best time to take out someone, to take out an opponent, is when they least expect it, before they have tethered the footage and had film day and watched the plays and know the schemes and know the schematics. The enemy wants to do nothing more than to catch you asleep, catch you unaware, catch you kind of naive to his schemes. And you know, we do a really, 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 really good job talking about the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God in Sunday school, the B-I-B-L-E-S, that's the word for me. I stand up on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Maybe we don't do a good job. I just spelled it out for you. Bible, that's what we say. And we say, Jesus loves the little children and you're so sweet and precious and his word is precious and you, you, are, you are made in the image of God and he loves you. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children and we sing songs and we talk about the goodness of God and that's so important. Many times all we talk about is how much God is mad at you and that's not the kind of God that loves you unconditionally and accepts you and brings you in and he's not waiting to slap you in the face with the belt. He's a receiving God, a loving father. But we also have to know, and what we should probably have done a better job teaching in Sunday school is, and you are so loved, but you know what? You are absolutely 100% hated. Little Johnny, you're hated. What? Not by me, not by me. You are, you have an enemy that hates you as there is no child-sized devil. Our children are hated by the enemy. You, you are hated, not for who you are, but for whose you are. And the enemy hates you. And his number one responsibility on this temporary earth is to keep you from fully surrendering to the one true king. If you don't know you're in a battle, you've already lost. And this is not just like, you know, a friendly rivalry. You can have competition. It's not a friendly spiritual rivalry of when you're thinking about doing something, poof, you know, the, the red wrestling singlet devil comes up in here and says, yup, not to, you know, just have fun. And then poof, here's old little angel Gabriel and that, 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 that. And it's not, it's not funny. It's not a sitcom. It's not a friendly rivalry. Let me tell you what a friendly rivalry is. A friendly rivalry is on April Fool's, someone takes all of your clothes 
out of your closet while you're out of town and you come home and you have absolutely nothing to buy. And so you actually wear the exact same clothes and underwear for the next three days until you actually have to buy. I mean, they take everything out of every drawer and you have to buy clothes to stand up and preach in on April 3rd. That's a friendly rivalry. And then on Mother's Day weekend, you go to their house and you dismantle their ring with a little shaving cream. You go to their closet and you have help. Actually, I didn't mean to show that picture. Let me, let me, yeah, there you go. We were anonymous. So Mother's Day. Take your time, guys. Ushers, ushers, if someone gets a little unruly in here, please don't let them, don't let them, don't let them Will Smith me, okay? Don't let them. It's just a friendly rivalry, and what you do is you leave them, you're a good friend, you leave them a fur coat and some Adidas, you know? And you stuff your car, and it's a lot, so you struggle. You know? That's just a friendly rivalry. That's not what we're with in the enemy where it's like, (laughs) you, (laughs) you. (laughs) That's not what we're in. We are at war. And actually, probably right now, that probably has changed from a friendly rivalry to war. We'll see. Pray, pray, y'all. Pray for for me. Here's another rule of engagement. If I don't know my enemy, I've made myself an easy target. The enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is not your ex. The enemy is not your coworker. The enemy is not your supervisor. Yes, can there be conflict and tension? You betcha. We're living in a fallen, tough world where when two or three are gathered together, his name is there and he's among us and so is conflict. But here's the truth. It's not about your enemy that is in the flesh and blood. The enemy, like everybody is held captive. Jesus came to set the captive free, but none of us are exempt from the tools of the enemy, the devices of the evil one. And if you don't know you're in a battle, you've already lost. If you don't know the real enemy, then you're gonna be an easy target trying to fight flesh and blood and not really understanding what you need to be ready to fight against. Finally, if I don't know my king, I won't know the power I have to stand. Your king is whatever you put your stability and success and, and, and satisfaction in. Whatever that thing is you go to at the end, if it's the promotion or the status or the symbol or the safety or the check or the stuff, then that's your king. And if you don't know the one true king, you won't know the power you truly have, not to avoid the battle, but to actually fight and stand in the battle. And from Mother's Day to Father's Day, we're going to take a deep dive into nine scriptures at the end of Ephesians chapter six, where the apostle Paul, one of his 
prison epistles, one of the, one of the prison epistles where he's writing as an ambassador in chains, someone who is chained up, bound up, not going anywhere. He's talking to us, not about how to fight Rome. He's not talking to how to fight the physical fight. He's talking about the much deeper, must, much more important, vital fight. And his final, his final statements in this letter of the, the church of Ephesus is this, and this is where we'll be setting up ground over the next few weeks. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. The spiritual forces of what? Come on, everybody, spiritual forces of what? In the heavenly realms, the stuff you can't quite see, but is very, very real. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, all of the armor, so that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to truly stand. In order to get to where we are truly putting on the full armor of God, we've got to wrestle a little bit about our enemy and we've got to talk about evil. Got to talk about evil today. Evil shows itself in many different forms in our culture from cruelty to crime, from strife to greed, from violence to racism. It has many different faces, but there is evil among us. There's evil around us. There is evil in us. We live in a fallen evil world And here's what culture wants to say to you when it comes to evil, that everything has a natural cause and a natural explanation. Like there's always gotta be a reason why this, it's an A plus B equals C component. So we try to come up with the solutions because we are a self-centered society. So the answer's got to come from self. It can't come from anywhere else. So we basically boil it down in all of our ologies. We boil it down to, we must not have been raised right or we weren't educated right, or we have bad social systems. And so what we say together as a culture, hey, we can fix it. So if, if we simply start uh, letting other people show us how to raise our kids instead of an antiquated biblical model, we've got new ways to raise kids. If we can raise them better, if we can educate America better, if we can have more education, if we, we, we want to make sure that it's all about the academics. Because if you don't have the academics, you're not really going to be able to fix the things in life. If we don't have social systems, and so what can happen is there are people that lean all the way in to allowing everybody else in this culture to determine what is going to be taught, what is going to be right, what is going to be truth, what is going to be the social remedy for all of these spiritual forces of evil, and we embrace political parties like they are the answer to a spiritual war. 
The other side of it is we embrace our own internal strength and we try to protect our kids and bubble wrap our kids and keep our kids and 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 not let our kids. We want to raise our kids in a bubble. We want to keep them away. We want to stiff arm evil as though our stiff arm and as though our homeschooling or though our block on the internet is going to be all that keeps evil at bay. Should we raise our kids the way God has called us to raise our kids? Should we teach them the truth of the word of God is the absolute foundation for everything? Yes, but you're not going to bubble wrap your kids away from evil. And you're not, you're not just going to, you're not just going to attend church and all of a sudden evil flees its way more than that. Jesus himself, when the disciples said, will you teach us how to pray? He shows us how to pray. He gives us a remedy for life. It is a formula for putting the the first things first. And it starts with our father and it recalibrates our perspective on everything. And it ends with, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus himself says, when you pray, you're praying, lead us not from temptation, but deliver us from evil. He's not saying, here's what you should pray. Fix temptation and evil eradicate temptation and evil. No, he says, lead us not and deliver us from evil. The evil in us and around us and against us. So with the rest of the time we have, I want to answer four questions for us to get on an even playing field. I want us to set up the chess pieces on the board and know really what we're up against and what kind of strategy we have to fight against the strategies of the evil one. Let's start with question number one. Question number one is where does evil come from? Most people think that God created evil. And the reason why most people think this is because a big argument against God is if God is so good, why doesn't he just stop evil? Because he didn't start it. He didn't start evil. So where does, where does evil come from? You can write it down in your notes somewhere. It's not filling the blanks, but you can start with this. Evil came from the free will, our choice, of the two races God made. And those two races are angels, the angelic race, and the human race. It started in the very atmosphere of heaven itself. That the angelic beings who were designed to give praise and worship to the one true God, the one true king, even they themselves succumbed to their own free will to truly worship. Because if you don't have the free will to worship, that's not worship. Worshiping is when you choose to give extravagant love and extravagant surrender and extravagant sacrifice. It's a choice. Worship is a choice, not a demand. And the lead angel, the lead worship leader, watch out for those worship pastors, everybody. Those, that, that, that lead worship leader on his, on his Twitter, one more, you know, he started out by saying, you know, can't wait to be in the heavenlies today and Worship our king, hashtag blessed, hashtag humble. (laughs) But Lucifer got a little bit arrogant. Lucifer got a little bit 
jealous. Lucifer said, I want worship too. Why should God get all the worship? And in that moment, God didn't let that stand for long. In fact, Jesus describes the moment that God got a sniff of that rebellion like lightning. He was sent away from heaven, placed into hell, someday placed into the lake of fire. So where does evil come from? Not just angelic race, but then the enemy to try and get back at God. There has been this counter attack when God creates the human race, places them in the garden, says you can eat of all the fruit except this one tree. The enemy now wants to counter attack against God and invite humans to do the exact same thing. You can be just like God. You can have wisdom too. You you could be worshiped. Why do you have to do all the worshiping? And he uses the same strategy. So where does evil come from? Evil was birthed out of a rebellious heart. And the truth is, you and I are born rebels. We're born rebellious. It's, it's, it, you, you know how it is with your kids. Your kids, if left to themselves, they're not gonna lean into, you know, mom and dad, I just woke up this morning. I would just love to be kind and to do whatever you're asking me to do. And do you mind giving me a list of stuff? I'd really like to like, how, how can I serve you? <laughs> Said no fourth grader or 14th grader <laughs> ever. We are birthed into a rebellious heart. And this is why parenting is so important. This is why Partnership with the local church and the things of God is so important so that we, so that we can add in the anti-venom of the venom that already exists in all of us and that is rebellious hearts. We want to be king. We want to be the final authority. We want to be in our power in which we stand. Evil comes from a rebellious heart. That's why we all have to take our stand against evil. Question number two, who do we fight? Who do we fight? Well, the scripture said our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against, and then he, he creates this uh, military and governmental structure of rulers and principalities and authorities of this evil, uh, you know, of dark ev spiritual forces of evil. So when you read that at the beginning, you may read it like our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against. He's not saying that you don't wrestle against flesh and blood because guess what? Every single one of you, the, the stats are out. The stats are out and the stats are in. 100% of you have wrestled against flesh and blood. So what are you really wrestling against? You're wrestling against flesh and blood and something greater. What he's saying is your real struggle, your real struggle, don't get it twisted that it's just against that X. It's just against the school. It's just against the thought. It's just against that, that political party. It's just against this. It's just against that. It is flesh and blood and something much, much greater. It is spiritual forces of evil. Now, pause. I get it. We're living in a very informed world these days. Okay, I know, I know. Doesn't that sound a little hocus pocus? Doesn't that sound a little Harry Potter? Okay, doesn't that sound like, I mean, haven't we just, don't we kind of know that these are just like 
you know, stories. I mean, the devil, come on. Pitchfork and little mustache running around and red spandex. (laughs) Come on. It is not the word of God that is cartoonized evil. It's you and me. And the truth is, if you struggle with the idea of a real devil, you may be struggling with the understanding that the real devil isn't in red spandex. He truly is a fallen being created by God. And angels came with him that are now those demonic forces, those authorities, those spiritual wickednesses in high places. And if you struggle with the idea of a real devil, the truth is you actually may be the one that is simplistic. When you hear someone talk about the enemy and you say, okay, (laughs) all of a sudden, you know what you have made king? Your own knowledge and your own understanding and your own eyesight is all of a sudden the full king of your life. As a matter of fact, you may be the one that is culturally narrow in your perspective. America consists of about 4% of the world's population. And when you travel the world, it's not that the rest of the world, that you're culturally arrived and everybody else is dumb. There is the reality of spiritual darkness unleashed on this world in different ways and in different capacities. And I can tell you that the enemy knows how to reach a culture and how to get under their skin and how to kind of tempt them and lure them in. So for us, it's our own knowledge, our own understanding, our own kingship, because we have a whole lot of stuff. We have a whole lot of success. We have a whole lot of prosperity. And you may be simplistic and narrow in your cultural perspective when the rest of the world sees different ways the enemy comes against them and understands it's very, very real. If you don't understand a real force of evil, the real uh, devil and his demons, then you will not understand, let alone defeat the darkness in you and your own family without recognizing the real enemy. And there are two errors that happen when talking about spiritual forces of evil. There are two errors. Let me give them to you. The first one is this, the error of we overestimate the enemy. So when we start thinking about spiritual darkness, all of a sudden we go back to that, you know, that, that slumber party that you watched poltergeist or exorcist for the first time. And you think of the enemy and you think of floating people off of beds and spinning necks and green vomit. And, and you have way, you, you, all of a sudden you have overestimated the enemy. You've given the enemy way too much power. You've given the enemy some kind of, of spooky, ooky, weird uh, thing. You, you become superstitious and now you kind of are on this side where anything and everything all the devil's getting after me all this is that you know there's you know the blender isn't working right oh it must be the devil of the blender like like you you everything in your superstitious and I just want to tell you the enemy doesn't have near the power you think as a matter of fact the enemy is not omniscient he doesn't know everything We see it all throughout scripture. He even goes to God when he's tempting Job. He says, Job will not serve you if you take everything out. Well, the enemy was wrong. Guess who's never been wrong? The omniscient God of the universe. The devil says he won't serve you if you get rid of everything. He didn't know that because Job did not bow a knee against God. He continued to trust God. He's not all powerful because when he tempts the very son of God, he cannot get the son of God to do what he wants because his power is limited. He's actually a defeated foe, but even when you have a defeated foe, you can still 
inadvertently give them authority in your life even though they're already defeated. Do you know that the enemy cannot read your mind because he's not all-knowing? But do you know he can lie to you? He can hijack you. The Bible doesn't say he's gonna all of a sudden get a hold of you like he's got talons like an eagle. In fact, the scripture says, do not give the enemy a foothold. And the way we talk, the way we verbalize, the way we act, gives the enemy signals on how he might manipulate and entice you. We overestimate the enemy. Here's the other error. We underestimate the enemy. So for some of you, you're superstitious. Um, Others of you are, as the great uh, manager, professional Michael Scott would say, some of you are a little stitious. I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. Some of you are substitious. You don't think it, you, you, this is kind of like way over, like, no, come on. I mean, this is just the elements of the reality and psychology and philosophy and what I'm inviting both of us to do, both of us, to lean into the reality that if there is a spiritual being we have surrendered to as the Lord of our life, is it possible that there's also spiritual forces of evil that would love nothing more than to attack the greatest thing that could ever take place in your life, and that is a surrendered, obedient heart to Jesus? We overestimate him, and we underestimate him. And this series is designed to invite us into a balanced perspective with handlebars on how to truly face the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Question number three, what do we fight? Are are we fighting this darkness? Are we fighting the boogeyman? Are Are we fighting the devil himself? The devil is not everywhere at once. He, 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 is not, he is not omniscient, he is not omnipotent, he is not everywhere at once, he is not God. It is not this robo fight against the red boxer of Jesus and the blue boxer of the devil. It's not a yin and a yang, it's not a good and bad. It is a victorious creator of the cosmos, God that loves you so much he spent his one and only son on you and a defeated foe that we still, through our free will, are giving access to our mind, our will, and our emotions. So what are we fighting then? Well, we're fighting strategies. The devil's schematics, the devil's schemes, the devil's ideas, and he's limited. And again, it's not a, it's not a woo ghost story here. He's not Dracula with a cape. In fact, write it down. Satan doesn't leave fang marks on the flesh. That, that, he's not out to leave fang marks on your flesh. Here's, here's what the enemy wants to do because this is the only language he speaks. He wants to leave lies in your heart. Lies that you are believing even now and you may not even realize it. Lies. You may not even know it. And those lies can show up in two key ways. He has these two schemes that he loves to use. The first one is this, write it down. Number one is temptation. 
He, he tempts us. And here's what temptation is. It's not in your notes, but I encourage you to understand, especially as a Christ follower. If you have bowed a knee to Christ and you have uh, begun to explore the kind of love that Jesus has for you, you believe he is who he is and he raised from the dead and he prepares a place for you in heaven and you can't fix your own sin, but he fixes it for you on the cross and now you're surrendered and living to him, not perfect, but following day by day. Temptation is gonna come to the Christ follower too, all the time. He really wants to get after you with temptation. And here's what temptation usually looks like in the life of a Christ follower. The enemy will offer a high view of God's mercy where you see God's mercy. He doesn't even hide that, but he's the deceptive person. He deceives and he lies. So he mixes enough truth in there to think that it's real. He'll give you a high view of God's mercy, but he'll give you a hidden view of God's holiness. So you begin to see God as a, just a, God is good. Jesus is my homeboy. God's okay with just whatever. I mean, it's all good in the hood. And here's what happens with temptation that the enemy wants to do, especially for Christ followers. I'll rationalize my sin. As a Christ follower, I'm I'm not gossiping. Oh, bless it. I'm not gossiping. I'm I'm just concerned. I'm just concerned. (laughs) You're the only 17th, you're only the 17th person I've told. I rationalize my sin because I see the high mercy of God and the enemy wants to cover the holiness of God. I overstress God's mercy. Hey, God loves me. I've been working so hard. He, he knows that, that my marriage has been struggling and you know, I've, I've got needs and I've got wants and my, my, my husband won't show me the love that I deserve. My, my wife won't, won't show me the time that I deserve. And, and I deserve that. I deserve this. And so I overstress God's mercy and I, and I allow that temptation to become sin. I can become bitter over suffering. Something you've gone through, you don't understand. Nobody can explain it away. As a matter of fact, it kind of stings every, some, every time somebody says, God, 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 you know, everything works together and, you, and it hurts. And, and if you're not careful, it, your bitterness of God, because you're looking for the mercy of God. And even the mercy is gone and you've gone through all this junk. I deserve a break. Hey, here's the one that's really popular right now. I see church leaders fail. Number one Christian podcast is not about overcoming temptation. It's all about a one-sided, trust me, a one-sided view of imperfect pastors and leaders making major, stupid, flesh-filled mistakes. Number one podcast, all about church leaders failing. Way beyond an addiction to, to physical porn, I believe the church in America is addicted to failure porn. There's something that it arouses in all of us when we see another person fail. Something about other people falling short that, that gives us something to make us feel a little bit better about who we are and we are addicted documentaries coming out all about churches, even this new documentary about the largest church in the world, Hillsong, Australia, and everywhere else, and they, they show the imperfections of leaders, 
because every church leader, including the ones speaking out loud right now at Timber Creek Church, has plenty of insecurities and plenty of failures and plenty of moments where I fall short of the glory of God and need his grace every single day. But you and I, we put leaders up on the pedestal just so they can knock down and there's something that stirs us up and we see cheap church leaders fail. And so we say, see, nobody's above it. So I have, I've got to have an out too. And the enemy wants to use that as temptation for us to lose all of our faith in, in, in church and in Jesus because of an imperfect leader. I justify one spot of my life over another. I mean, at least I go to church. This is what mafia, this is what mafia hitmen do. Okay, I've killed seven or eight people, but I love my mom. I'll take care of my mother. It's Mother's Day. I gotta go do a thing with a thing about a guy, but I love your mama. Mwah. That's a supai semi, or whatever, I don't know. And that's temptation. That's temptation. I justify one spot. I know I deserve this, and at least I'm a good dad, or I know this, but at least I do that. I know this, but I mean, I made a commitment to all in. I mean, can't I just kind of have my own little sin over here? The enemy has his schemes in full force against you. Accusation. Here's accusation. Here's how accusation works. The enemy offers a high view of God's holiness and then he gives you a hidden or a low view of his mercy and love. So now you, you don't walk in eternal security. You walk in eternal insecurity. You walk in a fear that God is never gonna accept you. So you know what you see? You see your sin more than you see your savior. God would never forgive that. I've, I've asked him to forgive me too many times. He's done with me. I obsess over my past sins that have done damage that can't be undone. And so because that damage cannot be undone, I think I can't be undone. I can't be forgiven. I can't get a fresh start. No matter what you've done, listen to me here. Listen to me, Dieball. Listen to me, Duncan. Listen to me, Nacogdoches. Listen to me, Iglesia. There is no sin so deep, no scars, I mean, so, no wound so horrific that God's love and grace is not even deeper and stronger still. He accepts you and loves you and embraces you, but he's also holy. He's also holy. And if the enemy can kind of hide one or the other, see, I assume that troubles I face must be God's way of punishing me now. So he's mad at me. And I think that real Christians would never have the struggles or the feelings that I'm having. And so temptation and accusation, the Bible says, Paul shows us we've got to take a stand against the evil devil's schemes. We've got to take a stand against it. So, how do we fight? How do we prepare for the fight? And over the next several weeks, from Mother's Day to Father's Day, I hope if you can't be in the flesh, you will be online with us. Because we're not just going to talk sermons, we're going to give practical handlebars, equipping the saints to do the work of not only the ministry, but of true spiritual warfare, without getting hocus pocus, and without just putting it in our own strength, in our own biting our bottom lip. Number one, you got to identify the particular strategies he uses against you. What he, what he does against your spouse he may use something different against you. The book of James says it like this. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own 
desire. There are, th- there are rooftops like David had. There, there is fear like Peter had. There are doubts like Thomas had. There are concerns like John the Baptist had. And the enemy knows the, the lure that's gonna entice you out from the shelter of the Almighty to put you where he wants you, to, to rip that lip and get you in with his schemes. We're gonna learn how to truly, number two, put on the full armor of God, not the armor of will power. There are many people that are well-meaning Christ followers. You have not engaged the true strength of his mighty power. You have only come to the nth degree of your own willpower where you you squeeze tight and you bite your bottom lip and you do the right things and I've done all I can do and when you get to that point you're in the right spot because he says after having done all then you really know how to stand. And over the next several weeks, we're gonna talk about the belt of truth and the shoes of peace and that breastplate that covers the heart of righteousness, a shield and a helmet and a sword, all of those things. You gotta have a sword, you gotta have that shield. But I wanna say something so important that you gotta get today or you're not gonna get the rest. Knowing is half the battle. It ain't about your shoes. It ain't about your shield. It ain't about your sword and you doing your little dance like Indigo Montoya on the Princess Bride. There is not this kind of armor that we put on with willpower. All of these things, when you put on the armor of God, it isn't philosophy, it's actually putting on, not armor, it's putting on a person because I wanna tell you something, Jesus is truth. Jesus is peace. Jesus is the righteousness. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelled among us. And we've got the responsibility of all kinds of prayers, but I wanna even show you there. When we're praying, good news, everybody. Even the author of Hebrews says it like this. Jesus can save fully and completely those who approach God through him. And scripture goes on to say, for Jesus is always living to intercede on their behalf. Jesus, the good news about all that, you don't even have to come up with your own prayers because Jesus is praying for you. When we put on the full armor of God, it's not biting your bottom lip and getting into willpower. It isn't about willpower, it is about his power. It's truly engaging the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he provides for us every single day. Number three, we gotta get dressed every single day. I mean, it's nice when my kids get dressed on time so we can get out. And I mean, I got teenagers in the house. But it's not enough if they got dressed on Monday, but Wednesday they just go to school naked. We gotta get dressed every day. It's not enough for you just to get dressed on Mother's Day. Some of you did your mom a favor favor by being here today. All she wanted for Mother's Day was her kids to be with her in church, and you did a favor. But I want you to know, it's way beyond your mom asking you of a favor. This is an intersection of opportunity for you. That Jesus would meet you right where you are. And way beyond a special holiday that we do the church thing and we take the selfie and we post it on Mother's Day, that this would be God's day for you. That this this, this would be the day you realize that Jesus is not mad at you. And he has all the love in the world for you. You gotta get dressed every day and that's what I wanna help us with for the next 42 days from Mother's Day to Father's Day. Number four, 
after everything, we're just going to stand and remind ourselves. These last two pieces are critical because they are the anti-venom. They are the solution to the enemy's schemes. Two things you can remind yourself every day this week. As a matter of fact, if you have a smartphone, you may want to even just take a picture of this screen today. You may just want to pull out the next, and when I show you the next two slides, you may want to take a picture of these and, and remind yourself. Or if you're taking notes, you can just pray over these. The first is this, if you'll remind yourself every day, stand and remind yourself, man, my sin is so great. It isn't a joke because nothing less than the death of God's only son could truly save me from it. An excruciating death of our savior is the only thing that could help you escape sin. And what you do is you see the holiness and the beauty of God's sacrifice. And that gives you a high view of what he's done. But then you couple that with I am absolutely loved and completely accepted by God. That while we were still sinners, he died for us. So now, even though I feel like a failure, even though I feel like I'm conquered, I can be more than a conqueror. I I can know that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. That the Lord is my shepherd. I don't have to be in want. Yes, he'll make me lie down in green pastures. He's not going to make me just suffer. He actually wants to give me the rest and the reassurance and the stability. And he he actually will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And he's going to anoint my head with oil. And my cup's going to overflow. And goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I can dwell in the house of the Lord. And there ain't no schematic. There's no scheme. There's no strategy. There's no fiery arrow of the enemy that can hold a candle to the kind of strength that I can simply stand in when I allow Jesus to be my one true king. That's how we prepare to stand. At all of our locations, would you close your eyes? Don't do this for your mother. Do this for your soul. Some of you have been running and you have been facing an enemy and you have tried to fix it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus wants to empower you from the inside out, but you've got to invite him in, friend. And if that's you for the first time or the first time in a long time, you need to reestablish who's really going to sit on the throne of your heart. In your own words, you'd simply say, Jesus, save me. Be my, be my God. Be my king. My sin is so great, I couldn't fix it. You, you washed it away with the cross. I, I received that today. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you, you're Christ followers, but you've been under attack. The enemy's got your number. He knows your rooftop. He knows your struggle. Jesus, I thank you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Father, I believe we're going to find freedom.
from what's holding people back. Over the next few weeks, we're going to find freedom. You have come to set the captives free. And we receive that in the mighty name of Jesus, the strong, warring Son of God. And everybody said amen.